Well, congratulations. We have made it through the Minor Prophets as of today. Today is the last of the Book of the Twelve. So we've been on Minor Prophets all summer. Uh, I've learned a lot, actually, in doing this study myself. Um, Just thinking about how these people who wrote 2,500 to 2,800 years ago have so much to say to us. That ultimately, when you look at life, people haven't changed that much. That we end up falling into a lot of the same sins and a lot of the same habits of 2,500 years ago. I've really learned the importance of understanding the biblical context. If you didn't understand the history of these books, it's really hard to understand what they're saying. And I hope that you have realized, and I hope whenever I teach you realize how much the Bible has to tell us, how much truth is in there, how much life is in there, how much God chooses to speak through His Word. And when you dive in, He really does start to show you things. So we turn now to the book of Malachi, the last of the minor prophets. In fact, the last book in the entire Old Testament. It's the bridge book. It's the book that finishes up what all these prophets are trying to say about this coming day of the Lord and looks forward to this day of the Lord. And then in a Bible, if you turn the page, you start to see it fulfilled. Malachi's written later than a lot of the other prophets, one of the last prophets. It's written in about 460 B.C., The Persian Empire is now the power in that region. And Israel is just a small amount of land right around Jerusalem and is a sub-province of the Persian Empire. The temple has been rebuilt, but it is not, uh, it's not grand. It's not real nice. It's done, but it's just done at a most basic level. Kind of like people who fix up a house and they say they're going to do more to it and then 40 years later, it looks exactly the same. That's sort of where the, the temple is. They got it done, but then it's just kind of sitting there, and it has never been the grand thing that it used to be, and it won't be until the days of Jesus. The other pro- prophets had promised that God was going to do something big to bring peace, but yet still that hasn't happened yet. Still Israel is under the thumb of the Persians. There's a coming Messiah or Savior that the prophets are trying to, trying to grasp at, trying to explain, but still that prophet hasn't come. And Israel and Judah are struggling, struggling for existence, poverty, crop fa- failure, inflation, people trying to survive in their own lives. And so what happens is if everybody just starts watching out for their own lives, um, you don't tend to care about what's going on around you as much. And so there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of injustice, um, there's a real slide in morals because people aren't worried about what other people are doing, they're just looking solely on what they're trying to do. And so Malachi comes along and writes in a sort of a dialogue. As you read Malachi, you get this back and forth, these questions that Malachi says, you say this, you ask this, but God says this in response. Um, Some scholars, and I think this makes a lot of sense out of the book of Malachi, see it really as a court case. The Malachi is a court case that God brings against the people of Israel. Here's where you're struggling. 
Here's where you're still not in the right. Here's where you need to be lined up. And, and the book allows for Israel to sort of speak back against that and give some of their excuses. But God won't have it. And God brings um, judgment. The word Malachi may not even be a name, actually. The word Malachi means my messenger. And in fact, there's a place in Malachi right at the beginning where we typically put Malachi um, that me, as a name. But later there's a place that translators often take the same name and just write my messenger. So you'll see that if you read through the book. So let's dive into the text a little bit. I'm in the book of Malachi, chapter 1. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. So right before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are scattered, but will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The Lord says, I've loved you. Israel, I have loved you. But Israel says back, Lord, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? I mean, we're not in a great shape right now, Lord. Things are not going real well. We're feeling a lot of pain. We're feeling a lot of struggle. Our enemies are rising up and staying in power. Even as enemies are knocked down, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, still more enemies rise up against us. How have you loved us, Lord? I love how honest the Bible is. We're taught to not question God and to not be honest with God. But that is not the testimony of Scripture. Scripture just lays it out. Lord, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? How can you love me if I'm in such pain? But God, God's encouraging. No, I love you. I love you. And this is not the end of the story. And this is not going to be how the story works out. I'm going to restore you. Your eyes are going to see this. You're going to say great is the Lord in the end. You may not see it right now. You may not see it as your enemy, as Edom rises up, as other people have power. You might not feel it in the pain right now, but God says, wait and see how this story ends. God also is going to bring a case that says, you know what, part of the reason why you don't feel real loved by me right now is you need to get some things right. There's some things that you're being judged for right now. Right away in verse 6, he gives his first case against Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? 
When you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he might be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Polluted offering, what does that mean? Well, Israel was supposed to offer God blameless lambs. Blameless bulls. Okay? You were supposed to give your best animals to God. Okay? So when you had a breeding season of your sheep, you would pull out the best lamb or the best couple of lambs, depending on how many people you had in your family or how many families you had sharing a flock. You're supposed to pull out the best ones. You're supposed to sacrifice those to God. But what's the problem with that? That's a really great sacrifice, right? I would like to keep the best lambs. I would like to hold the best lambs back for the breeding stock for next year, right? I'm giving away to God the best that I have, the best breeding stock that I have. And so after year, after year, after year, especially if there's drought, especially if we're not doing so well, that gets a lot harder to give God your best. So what do you do? (laughs) Give God my worst. And the priests are letting this happen, apparently. Oh, I've got a sheep that's blind. This sheep is never going to make it to adulthood. This is going to be a sheep I always have to watch out for. I'm going to give God my blind sheep, my lame sheep, my least sheep. And the priests are letting this happen. And so God says, hey, would you do that to your governor? The Persians, that they demand so much. Remember, taxes in those days, you didn't, a lot of stuff was trade. It wasn't all money. And so if you were a sheep herder, you would have to give to the governor certain sheep from your... Do you give the governor your blind sheep? No, you give the governor your blind sheep. Okay? The governor's going to be at your door or his army's going to be at your door wondering why you didn't give him the best. And God says, how come, how come I don't get the best? How come I'm not honored? If I'm really Lord, if I'm really God, if I'm really Father, then I get your best. I get your best. We need to be careful how we worship. We need to be careful how we worship. Okay? We don't just worship God on good days. We don't just worship God when we feel like it. We don't just give to God when it's convenient. In that case, God isn't God. God is much lower. If God is God, then when we worship God, we remember with reverence who we're worshiping and who we are sacrificing for. Our heart needs to be in the right place. When we hold back in worship, when we hold back, that can be a problem. It's not a game of how much you can get away with with God. How much can you praise? How much can you serve God? Judgment is coming. Malachi chapter 2 begins, Behold, I send my messenger. Again, my messenger. Malachi. And he will prepare the way before you. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messengers of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. 
Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Malachi picks up on this theme from the other prophets of the day of the Lord. God's going to come and he's going to bring judgment. And he uses the metaphor of cleaning. Of cleaning. Refiner's fire. Um, Everybody kind of understand that image? If I've got a metal, if I've got a metal and I want to purify it, I've got, to, I've got to heat it up. And when I heat it up, the impurities come to the top, and I'm able to remove those impurities and, and refine that metal. Get it to where it's down to its core. It's pure. Fuller soap was a way of pressing or scrubbing cloth. You would add fabric to it to, to get things off. And so in those days, you, they had big curtains for different things and, and bigger blankets and these kind of things. But how in the middle of, of Israel, dust, dirt, grime, do you clean those things out? It's a pretty aggressive process. Okay? In fact, there are certain places where we know that were, you could go almost to like a laundry mat that would clean your stuff. They put chemicals down, put material down on your cloth, and then a lot of times they would rub their feet, they'd walk on your stuff to grind the chemicals in and get the impurities out of your cloth to purify the cloth. And for white cloth, it was a lot of work, right? You've got to work and work and work this thing out. And so Malachi takes this image and he says, you know what? The day is coming where God's going to purify. And it's not going to be real fun. There's going to be some judgment. There's going to be heat involved. There's going to be some chemicals. And there's going to be some work involved as God purifies us and makes us holy. Judging and blessing. It hurts but it's going to be a good thing. Text continues in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore, O children of Jacob, and are not consumed. For the days of your fathers, uh, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The Lord does not change. He keeps his promises. And if you return to him, he will return to you. But you've got to return. You've got to repent. It's not just a matter of saying, I'm sorry. It's a matter of coming back to God being Lord. And part of that involves stewardship. Okay, The biblical understanding of stewardship isn't just that you give a tithe, that you give a 10%. It's that everything you have is God's. Everything you have is God's. Everything that you've earned is God's because you earned it based on gifts and abilities God gave you and opportunities He gave you. All of it is His. And so how do you steward your time? How do you steward your gifts? How do you steward your finances? How do you steward the opportunities that God gives you in your life? If you hoard them, you keep them over here to yourself, Malachi's language is very strong. You've robbed God. You've taken something that was God's and you've made it yours, and it's not yours. Your life is not yours, and this world is not yours. They belong to God. You want to return to God? Give him back his stuff. Give him back your life. 
Give Him back your passions and abilities. Let Him guide how you make decisions in your life. Malachi chapter 4 promises not just judgment, but promises grace. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evil doers will be stubble. Well, that's not grace. We keep going. The day is coming. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. If you want to understand, wait, wait, let me read verse 5 real quick. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In order to understand these words from Malachi, let's look at the New Testament and then go back to them. There's this great story in Luke chapter 8 where uh, it's also in Mark chapter 5, where there's this woman has some kind of illness where she bleeds all the time. Okay, she's constantly bleeding, and the uh, text doesn't really describe how, what that is. But as somebody who's always bleeding, they, she can never go to the temple. She can never offer sacrifices to God, because she's constantly unclean. But she gets this idea. Mark 5.27 says it this way. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. So she, she comes in as a crowd. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be touching anybody. And she sneaks in and she touched Jesus' garment and then tries to get away. But Jesus feels it. And he says, who touched me? And he's in the middle of the crowd. Who touched me? And the disciples say, everybody touched you, <laughs> right? Everybody's here, everybody's touching you. He said, no, no, I felt power go out of me. Somebody touched me. And finally the woman stops. She's caught. And she's healed. She's made well. And Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What gives this woman this idea that if she would just touch Jesus' garment, she would be healed. What actually comes out probably out of this book of Malachi. In the Old Testament, the, the, the text says healing in his wings, right? And as soon as we hear wings, we think bird wings, right? Kind of bird wings covering up and moving. But actually the word wing can also mean edge. Okay, it's the Hebrew word kanaf. It means also edge. It still means that, by the way. If you watch a basketball game and you watch a player out on the wing, uh, they're a player out on the edge. This, the word wing still means edge in our day today. But in Hebrew, it definitely can mean both. It's a long tradition of those being connected. And so in the Old Testament, they were, they were told that on the edges of their garment, the Jews were supposed to have tassels. And so Jews would often wear something like this. Uh, sometimes it would be a square and there would be a hole here so you could put it on, much like you could imagine a rain poncho. Uh, other, this one here is meant to go on around you like this. But you are meant on the edges of your clothing to have tassels, prayer tassels, on the kanaf of your garments. Okay? Everybody see that so far? 
So, when the text says that the Messiah will come with healing in his wings, people thought maybe they meant these. And so the, the idea developed that when the Savior came, he would have in his tassels on the edge, on the wings of his garment, healing powers. And so some of the rabbis were even known to have really long tassels, as if to imply that maybe they are important enough and they could be the Messiah or the Savior. Um, but Jesus would have worn something. He would have had tassels somewhere in, in, in his garments, on the edge of his garments. And probably this woman knows the story of Malachi, knows the book of Malachi, and says, you know what? If that's really Jesus, all i got to do is touch. All i got to do is touch the hem of his garment, and I'll be healed. And she believes that. What does Jesus tell her? Your faith has made you well. She's right. She believes Jesus is this Messiah. And that if she could only touch those garments, she'd be healed. And who is this Elijah, the prophet sent before the Messiah with healing in his wings? Well, it's John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. And so we get this really neat marker at the end of Malachi, at the end of the Minor Prophets, at the end of the Old Testament that points forward and says, hey, there's one more prophet coming. One more prophet coming. One more Elijah coming. It's going to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist announces Jesus. And then Jesus comes. And we even have a story where he actually has healing in his wings. I think Malachi is a wonderful place to end the Old Testament and to end the minor prophets. It's a book of warning to be careful how you worship. To be careful how you steward your life. For God does judge. But also a reminder that God came. And He has grace. And He's made peace. And He's cleansed us. And there was refiner's fire. And it was really difficult to be cleansed. But Jesus went to the cross and took on that difficulty for us. And there is healing in His wings. Some of you are struggling with health concerns. Some of you have gone through difficulties in your life. You have worries, you have anxieties, you have pains. There is healing in his wings. Draw close to him, return to him, for he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the words of Malachi. May they be our words. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.